Welcome to Women Positively Aging, the podcast for women in midlife who want to live well for longer. I'm your host, Barbara Bray. I'm a PhD researcher in healthy aging diets at Queen's University Belfast in Northern Ireland, part of the UK. I'm passionate about living well for long days, woven into my research. And the reason I set up this podcast was to help people who are in midlife realize that there are things that we can do to improve the quality of our health as we age. Some of it is to do with genetics, some of it's to do with the environment, but there's some good news there about our lifestyle choices and behaviours, things that we can do just to inch closer to having a healthier lifestyle once you take away some of the wider environmental and genetic factors. Season two of this podcast builds on season one, where we'll be looking at specific areas such as bone health and weight management, things that have been bothering women probably didn't want to talk about them or didn't know the right source of information to look for. I invite experts, but also people with lived experience to share their experiences and tell their stories that you can learn from them as well. I do look forward to getting new listeners to the podcast and engaging with you either on social media or sending me messages on my website. And please do subscribe to the podcast so you get to find out when new episodes are released. Thank you very much and enjoy the podcast. Sleep is crucial for our overall health and well-being, affecting both our physical and mental health. This is why a lack of it impairs a range of functions from task performance and post-physical activity recovery to cognitive performance and mood. Poor sleep quality also impairs decision making. What can we do to manage episodes of poor sleep? Is it just sleep that's an issue? And where does tiredness come into it? What impact can menopause have on our sleep? In today's episode, How to Sleep Better, I'll be asking these questions to Dr. Johnny Bloomfield, health and performance coach. And I'll also be speaking with Diana Spellman, a company director who will be sharing her story of sleep problems as she adapted to the menopause. Welcome, Johnny and Diana. Hello, Barbara. How are you? I'm good. I've slept well. How about you? (laughs) Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Hi, Barbara. Nice to see you. It's great to have you both here. I'm going to start with Johnny. So, Johnny, sleep and tiredness. Perhaps you can define that for us, please. Uh, sure thing. There is a there is a, a clear difference between sleep and tiredness. Tiredness is something that we accumulate in our wakeful hours, and and sleep is something that we relieve um, through our nighttime hours when when we're asleep. So, quite quite simply, but uh, quite often they're they're kind of um, confused a little bit, or, or people will, will relate to tiredness and sleep being the same thing, but they're they're not they're not entirely the same thing. We we build up our tiredness to allow us to sleep, and um, we obviously sleep to relieve our sleepiness. Well, that's given us a starting point. That's great. So, in terms of you, Diana, have you got any comments on sleep and tiredness, and how you think you're impacted by sleep and or tiredness? Yeah, I I really relate to the sort of concept of being um, wired but not tired, and that was a real problem for me. I think particularly where there's a lot of activity in the business, and um, you know there's multiple ideas and projects going on. Um, inevitably, there's challenges that. Um, that you need to work through and 
I am a little bit hyperactive and I do push myself quite hard. So actually not taking time during the day to just take a break was a big learning curve for me. And um, I think at, at the peak of my worst sleeping habits, I was possibly losing or felt like I was losing about a night a week, which really put me into a really bad cycle of then being overtired and, you know, having to sleep, probably oversleep and then, you know, a seesaw effect, which wasn't helpful. That's interesting. Yes, and of course, tiredness comes from many different sources. Um, it's it's not just sleep that that um, or the quality of our sleep, but the volume of our sleep that actually determines how tired we we might feel. So you know, it's a lot to do with um, what we eat, what we drink, how much we move, how much exposure we get to daylight, um, how we manage our stress, how much stress we we have to deal with. Um, if we're bored, you know, if, you, if, if I just told you to sit at home all day and do nothing, you, you would feel tired at the end of that day. Um, so boredom can bring tiredness or any sort of fluctuations or changes to our general routine can, can throw us a little bit out. Um, like if we don't get our regular coffee or caffeine hit at some point, we might have a little bit of withdrawal from that. And that can leave us uh, feeling a little bit run down at times. And of course, we all we, we have a natural biorhythm, so time of day will will dictate our our tiredness levels. We will naturally wake up feeling a little bit um, uh, tired. We'll, we'll we'll take time to to kind of come out of that sleep inertia and and into a, a level of alertness. So around about mid morning, we're we're pretty much all systems go, and then we'll have a dip after lunch, just simply. Um, natural biological dip and um that can obviously be exacerbated by the stress and what we maybe have for lunch as well so we can feel more tired at, at that point and um sometimes if we're sleep deprived we, we will have symptoms of sleepiness at that point you know you have yawning you'll feel um you know you've got your head your heavy eyes and your your head nods and you're, you know you'll, you'll you'll feel like you're craving for a bit of a, a, a nice nap and uh and that that was obviously tiredness has brought about sleepiness. But in the uh, in the afternoon, we'll we'll have another peak of uh, alertness with a natural natural rise up to about dinner time, and then um, then a steep decline towards towards our natural bedtime as well. So where the tiredness um, will, will will accumulate on us and make us feeling sleepy for the next for that evening sleep. Interesting. So you're going to talk to us about how we can sleep through the mm. night. Have you got some kind of key things that we're going to be hearing as we go through the session johnny uh yeah 100 percent. the um so how we sleep basically is I, i've almost alluded to two two of the three um in fact i think i've alluded all th all three systems that are in place mm -hmm. so the first first one is our, <laughs> is our sleep drive yes so that is um basically we, we start to accumulate sleepiness from the moment that we wake up so as we go about our day, we expend energy and a chemical called adenosine that, that builds up in our, inside our brains and it just steadily accumulates throughout the day. Now, depending um, how maybe physically tiring our day is, how mentally tiring or a combination of those two may, deter may determine just the, the how much adenosine gets built up and how much of a sleep drive that we will have whenever it comes to the end of the day. And um, ideally, you know, your your sleep drive should, should we should, go to bed 
when we're at uh, a peak or peak of our sleep drive. And you'll feel those symptoms that I mentioned earlier about yawning and head nodding and, and just that general uh, feeling of needing to sleep. Um, that is that is the cue for actually entering your bed and going, you know, putting your head down and going, going to sleep. So, um, so system one is, is sleep drive. Some people call it sleep pressure. Uh, a really good way of thinking about this is as you um, go about your day, almost imagine you've got a balloon that you're filling with everything that you that you do all day long, and you want that balloon to be as big and as huge as possible by the time your head has, hits the pillow. So your sleep drive is as big as possible. So that was going to, number one, get you over to sleep, and number two, get you through the, through the night. Don't go to bed with a squishy balloon. So if your sleep drive is not high enough, that that more is going to be more likely that you're going to delay your sleep onset and also um, have more awakenings throughout the night. Now, once your sleep dry, once you hit the head hits the pillow and you're off to off to the um, the sleep. Imagine the air escaping out of that balloon. It's like a you know a raspberry. <laughs> it will it will vanish fairly fairly rapidly. So that is um, that that's accounting for the first half of our night, which is um, where we will get most of our deep sleep, our physical and physiological re- repair and restoration and replenishment. Um, it's where our cardiovascular system will, will reset, where our metabolic system will re- replenish, will um, you know, our immune system will, will regulate, our blood pressure will, will regulate as well. So all the physical physical thing um, things that are very important to um, to our health and to our maintenance happen in that first half of the half of the night and the, getting that balloon as big as big as you possibly can to get when you're getting into bed the sleep drive as powerful as possible that's what's going to help to kind of maximize and optimize all those those functions then at, at the halfway point the uh, the sleep drive system hands it, hands it over to a second system uh, that's our circadian um, system whereby uh, we have this 24-hour biorhythm body body clock, and it it kind of passes from the slow wave sleep passes over to the um, to to much more of the memory memory sleep, the, the where we'll have more rapid eye movement sleep, and um, we will have kind of that memory consolidation, emotional regulation component, the where the the brain is is doing a lot of its its um, its processing. Storing memories that are that are important, um, making sense of things that have happened in our past or in in our present, and um, and that's going to that's going to carry you through to the, to, to your wake point. Now, um, we have hor- lots of hormones, which we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about today, that run smoothly on that, that run very smoothly and carefully on this circadian rhythm. Um, two hormones that are very important for sleep is one is melatonin, which happens uh, at the beginning of our evening. So as, as our sleep drive builds, our um, body will detect darkness and we'll start to release our melatonin, which will help with that sleep onset. And that will kind of carry us through to about four o'clock in the morning whenever um, the, it kind of gets passed over to our awakening hormone, which is cortisol. So cortisol then will peak around about six or seven o'clock in the morning for most of us, and that's what wakes us up naturally. Wakes us up, and um, and some some people, if they if they time it right, will will be able to wake up and get up fairly comfortably 
if you if you miss time it you'll if you'll want to hit the snooze button or you'll want to um sort of get 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 further sleep from that point if you just still feel incredibly deep and drowsy um but uh so so the the, the kind of the timing of your sleep is very important and we'll talk a lot more we'll talk a, a wee bit about that later on and uh the third system that i uh did mention was stress so it's how much stress you encounter through the day and how much recovery you can re- can can replenish from that so through the night we want to see we want to get um plenty of recovery during during our sleeping time so that we can regulate and rebalance from the volumes of stress that we've we've encountered through the day but it's really advisable to to gather moments of recovery throughout the day so that we don't go we don't go to bed completely overstimulated and overloaded and um and, and our bodies kind of uh still still coping with with the the volumes of, of stress that that we encounter so it's all about you maybe you know uh, listeners may be aware of it's, it's all about balance it's all about making sure we're, we've got um a good a good amount of stress in our days to kind of help us be productive and enough recovery to replenish ourselves from that as well so recovery prior to bedtime that wind down time that we'll we'll certainly talk about and, re- and we want to see deep recovery throughout the night so the, so the sleep quality is very very high Thanks for that, Johnny. I think that that point about balance that made me laugh, I think balance is the thing that we're all trying to find in life. And it it just seems to be almost elusive in a way, but we will get there. I think for our generation, when you're in your 40s and 50s, you just feel squeezed from all sides. So balance is a a fairly difficult concept to even imagine, but we'll um, we'll talk about that a bit more later. But I'm interested in picking up what you said about hormones not just sleep hormones but really a reference to the fact that most of the listeners in this show are generally in their menopausal years so I think a lot of people are going to be interested to know about our changing hormones and and how they affect the quality of our sleep please okay so um I mean particularly throughout um menopause the hormones will fluctuate you know it's a big part of the, the process but um I think it's 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 reductionism to say that hormones are to blame for 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 challenges in your in your sleep um, throughout the, the this phase. So um, you know, it, it, most well, quite a, quite a significant number of, of ladies will will um, have noticed at least some sort of change in, in their in their sleep as they move through this transition period of their lives. So somewhere between forty and sixty percent of of, of women will report having some sort of sleep disturbance as a result of of, of this um, process. But um, there's hormones such as estrogen and progesterone that are closely linked with, with other bodily functions that uh, can also disrupt our, our, our sleep on, on many different levels. Um, and we've got like uh, ovarian hormones like estrogen, they bind to receptors in the brain that are directly influencing sleep factors like our circadian rhythm. They kind of start to shift it up ever so slightly. And um, then other, they can also indirectly have um, impacts on our sleep by changing the regulation of our body temperature and also our mood, and how we, how we actually feel. Um, you know, we mentioned there about that stress system. So if you're feeling anxious or stressed about what type of sleep you may be having, that might be uh, setting up for for um, 
less quality sleep in itself. But um, there is links there, you know, as estrogen levels fall during perimenopause, so lots more women may experience more nighttime awakenings. They would experience poor sleep quality and more more trouble sleeping. That's that's quite commonly uh, known, and um, there's been studies in both humans and animals that that show that less wakefulness and reduced uh, deep sleep would occur whenever we get less um, progesterone, and um, hi- higher progesterone levels are also linked with more time spent awake at night, and. Um, you know, it's it's um, clear that there is some sort of uh, relationship there with changing hormones and sleep quality or sleep disturbances. Well, thank you for that explanation. I'll bring Diana in now just to, to see if any of that resonates with you. So as you were going through the menopause, what really changed with your sleep, Diana? Um, well, yes, yeah, so there were a lot of changes that I needed to make. And I think actually it's fascinating hearing Johnny just describe you know, there's many coinciding um, uh, symptoms and and cycles going on there with all those different hormones. And I suspect that, you know, for any one of us going through menopause, whether it's pre or peri or or menopause or post, actually the worst thing is trying to pin it down to, you know, what what are the factors and um, it's great to hear that research from Johnny because actually, you know, I've struggled to, um, to to find that information myself. So I've just had to figure out my own um, mechanisms of, of trying to manage my sleep better. So, yeah, just going back to what Johnny was saying about making sure that you actually get some, I get some rest time during the day and also winding down from the from the stresses and, and the demands of running a business meant that I was, you know, um, taking actually shifting my workload so that I had proper rest time in the evening um, to sort of read or browse or use light entertainment or um, be around people. In, in a non sort of working environment. I think what I noticed was when I was younger, I could kind of um, work till bedtime. You know, I'd be my sex, my sorry, my sleep drive would be very high and then hit the pillow and go to sleep <laughs> straight away. Um, and I'd ping, wake, refresh. That was great. But when I, um, through menopause, that method just didn't work at all because I suspect, I just wonder if the, because of the changes of the estrogen and the progesterone and and perhaps um, my adrenal cortisol was out of whack as well. And, you know, it was a whole glory mix, I think, <laughs> bit of a disaster. So, um you know, I was finding that I was having at the peak of my transition, I was having um, huge temperature changes, um, very cold to start with, then very hot and having to use either get up or have a drink or go to the loo or um, take a I, sometimes I would have two 
cold water bottles on the go. One was in the freezer and one was defrosting just to try and keep me cool. And I know, you know, some of my girlfriends who, you know, had to change their whole bedding um, during that period because of night sweats was so bad. Um, but, But actually... To be honest, there were other girlfriends who were absolutely fine. They weren't, you know, they were coasting through and carrying on drinking wine and having caffeine late at night and sailing on and it didn't seem to affect them at all. And I suspect they thought, you know, what's all the fuss about for us uh, who were experiencing problems? And also they were, um, you know, probably thinking that we were over dramatizing it because it's actually unrelatable if you're not going through it yourself so yeah lots of adjustments yeah lots of adjustments well thank you for sharing that I think um, it's good to hear that from your experience because you, you set the scene nicely for us and explained how sleep can be disrupted particularly in your case and I'll come back to Johnny now and talk about the strategies that we can put in place we talked about what we need to do regarding sleep or how sleep is supposed to happen. Um, but when we have got disrupted sleep, what are some of the things that we can change, Johnny, to help us sleep better? Um, okay, so some of the, some of the really, really simple, simple stuff, the obvious stuff to begin with is just like have a bit of a review on your sleep environment and, and your sleep routines and your, your, you know, your behaviours or some people call that sleep hygiene. So really... Um, Looking at your bedroom for starters, um, is it cool, comfortable, calming? Um, really, the, the 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 bedroom should be only reserved for for two activities. So we'll say sleep is one of them, um, and and really nothing else. Um, particularly in the pandemic, I, I discovered there's there's quite a few people who um, started working from home, and, and then it transpired that they were actually using their their bedroom as their office so they were almost spending all day and all night in the same room and this was actually leading to uh, symptoms of insomnia because you're um you're kind of conditioning the brain to be awake in that room and uh and particularly if you're if you're doing any work you're you're not only just you're awake you're you're engaged and that means uh that that's kind of a disastrous scenario for for getting proper sleep and good quality sleep so um, many people sort of um, developed or uh, encountered ins- insomnia symptoms uh, as a result of of choosing that so so the, the the advice was like swap swap you know go and work in your kid's bedroom instead of your your own and uh, and and or, or work work in another part of the ho- part of the house, which is away from your bedroom, which feels like an like it feels like an office space, a dedicated workspace that you can that you can leave. So, um, so in terms of that sleep environment, also you're thinking about your mattress, you're thinking about your pillow set, you're thinking about your your bedding and your and your duvet, and so on. So, so Diana was very um, uh, open there with regards night sweats and hot flashes and cold flashes so there's there is this temperature fluctuation that is experienced throughout um the this this phase on, uh, in women and 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 sort of setting up the environment knowing that this is if this is if you're one of the the 40 to 60 percent of w- women who suffer these it's kind of it's kind of accepting that and then preparing the environment to best suit 
the the, in, the inevitable. So, um, you know, making sure that that you're in the you're, you've got you've got the right mattress, and um, that might you know a lot of people will choose memory foam, but memory foam can be very uh, it can it can it can not easily dispel heat from away from the body. If you think of the purpose, I think of the the the, the purpose of memory foam is to sort of form a, a boundary around your body. It's, it's it doesn't necessarily let heat to escape. So pocket springs might be a better um, a better solution. But then they've got these hybrid solutions now. There's so mattresses are um, suitable for all all different types. So I mean maybe maybe sleeping on the right mattress, sleeping in the right posture. So whether you're a back sleeper, side sleeper, that might also have an impact because of surface area and the contact with the mattress. Then you've got, um, you know, making sure that your pillows are um, comfortable, you know, firm or not, not necessarily firm, but, but firm enough to be supportive. That's the word I was trying to find to be supportive and, and also um, and, and, and comforting. And then your, you know, the thickness of your duvet, depending on what, t- what stage of, um, of the of these of the calendar it is you know whether it's winter or summer or whatever you kind of have to adjust the you know whether with the materials so that it, it's more more conducive to the conditions that we're sleeping in and then of course if you have a uh, ventilation capacity so you can sleep with the window open if you're not in an area where there's going to be exposure to any sort of artificial light or um if you're comfortable with sleeping with a window open and a door open, so there's a through through flow. If you're if you're not sensitive to noise, maybe having a fan on so you can generate a little bit of, of airflow around the room. That's um, uh, obviously another good way to keep the the room cool. Uh, sleeping by yourself, sleeping sleeping with a partner, that can also impact the heat of the room, heat of the bedding. And you know, if you're if you're sleeping cl- very close together, that's you know, you're sharing body heat. That's that's another um, thing to, to consider with the sort of thermal regulation from with, within. Um, Can I ask you about that. So, what do you advise your clients then to say? Right, okay, camp out in different rooms. I mean, do people take to that advice or? Uh, yeah, look, quite quite possibly. I think. Um, uh, the, I've heard the terminology "sleep divorce" to save to save your, yourself a real divorce. All right, oh, okay. you know it, it can it can happen. I'm going to get Diana to come in on this. <laughs> it can happen as e- as easily with uh, noise as well as temperature. So you know if you've got a partner partner who's making a lot, a lot of noise um, through through snoring, obviously, then um, you know it might be safer for your marriage to actually. Uh, <laughs> to sleep sleep in, in separate rooms now you can still have um your closeness and your intimacy at prior to bedtime or you know or that kind of the onset but one of you then slips away to um to your own and then of course in the morning one of you can you know can slip back in together so it doesn't have to be um completely you know you go two separate directions and then there's the swedish model where they have two single beds in the same room which is which is another way to kind of co-sleep without having to um, particularly if, if two if two people are totally different sizes and one needs this type of mattress, a pocket spring mattress, and this one needs a memory foam mattress, uh, or this one makes a lot of noise, or this one likes the room a certain way. Sometimes, um, I, I've I've heard that in in thirty thirty percent of of divorce cases, sleep sleep is really is one of the um, major reasons why 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 couples separate. Unfortunately, makes sense though. People can't sleep together. It's it's a bit of a difficult one to to um, uh, for a relationship perspective. But yeah, that that's. I think I've talked a bit about 
sleep environment there. Sleep hygiene is really just your behavior and not your attitude and uh, to sleep. Now, a lot of people who don't sleep well have fantastic attitudes towards it. They do everything right. Um, well, mo- mostly everything that they think they know that they do right. So they'll take, you know, um, they'll they'll have blackout blinds and they'll, um, you know, they'll they'll have the right behaviors leading into bedroom, uh, leading into bed and. Um, they'll they'll not stay on their phone and they'll not drink uh, too much caffeine during the day and they'll not drink, take any alcohol in the evening. Um, and can I just um, come in there? So have you got a set list of don'ts, things that you you know will definitely be a problem? So what shouldn't we be doing? Uh, well, okay, there's, there's there is quite quite a few. So, uh, so alcohol is certainly one. Um, so alcohol kind of acts like a sedative. It helps people people will use it a lot to get to sleep. Um, but unfortunately, if it's it's a slow metabolizer. It takes about um, an hour to process one unit of, of of alcohol. So if your strategy is I'm gonna work my way through a bottle of wine to help me sleep tonight, then unfortunately your stress system is gonna be busy because it's got a lot of toxin to kind of process while while you're asleep. Your, the depth of your sleep isn't gonna be nearly as as uh, what it should be because of um, you know the the sedative type approach to what alcohol does to your sleep, and then you'll have a REM rebound, whereby you'll you'll have um, a lot of vivid dreaming, and so on will happen uh, as a result. So the quality of your sleep will never be good if your strategy is to kind of drink your way to to, to, to sleep. Um, even think about it. You know, if you wake up with uh, after having you know maybe five or six units in an evening, and you wake up. The next morning, you still feel groggy and tired and, and lethargic the whole next day. So that doesn't really work. Another one doesn't work is is too much caffeine um, during the day. So we get into this, I need caffeine to kind of pull me out of this fatigue in the morning or this tiredness feeling. So you kind of start chasing the, the day with with too much caffeine. Now, caffeine, um, in the, earlier on, I was talking about a chemical called adenosine. Adenosine binds to adenosine receptors in the brain. Well, caffeine comes in and robs the... Um, Oh, it's almost like um, a, a car park full of blue cars. That's so. If caffeine will 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 just take all the car parking spaces up, and the red cars, which is the adenosine, they just have to stand wait in the queue for the um, for the caffeine to let to kind of wear out and let go, and then you get this surge, this tidal wave of adenosine looking to grab onto the. Uh, to the receptors and then um, you'll feel incredibly tired and sleepy and that's probably where you then grab more ca- more caffeine to, to overcome so it's a terrible vicious cycle in terms of caffeine but that yeah it, it it will drinking too much caffeine will end up with a squashy balloon per sleep drive going to bed so we want to um kind of limit the caffeine to maybe two max two to three cups of of, of uh, coffee of regular size and I always recommend like having no, no caffeine after twelve um, to allow the, the body to kind of work through. And then we all we all we love di- different uh, sensitivities to caffeine. So some of us will be able to do that, some of us won't. So um, I, I I recommend kind of the benefits of coffee, decaf coffee particularly, but be careful about use your caffeine uh, caffeinated drinks very strategically and can i ask diana so you mentioned um i think caffeine and alcohol was was there anything else that you stopped doing as you were trying to make your sleep improvements diana um yes just to get into a new into a new mindset i think and and i think some of it was just about 
building up a routine and, and a confidence and reducing that anxiety. But also I would, um, in, I would bring my meal times forward. So I'd attempt so that I wasn't having a heavy meal or a meal at all or anything to eat at all after after seven o'clock in the evening if my target bedtime or if my target sleep time was around 10-ish. So, you know, that gave me three clear hours, but that was a, a sort of a menopausal, post-menopausal strategy. I think when I was younger and active, that I wasn't really aware of that. I think it's just been a more of an aging gracefully phenomenon to help me uh, in my sleep strategy, yeah. <laughs> And was there anything else that you added? So we talked about the things that you stopped doing, but was there anything else that you added? So you talked about mindset, but what about other initiatives that you tried? Um, yeah, I I would, um, you know, have little strategies that if if I wasn't going to sleep as well as 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 smoothly as I anticipated, I would. Um, have a, a glass of water or sip on chamomile tea or another infusion of some sort, or um, just um, have some um, smelling aromatherapy oils like lavender or you know any of those oils that that you enjoy. Rose oil is, uh, I think it just depends on the individual, but those were the two that worked for me. Well, thanks for sharing that. So, Johnny, we've heard about what Diana's tried. Is there anything else that you think we should or shouldn't do? Uh, those those strategies were great. Um, Diana was mentioning there about um, ways that helped her relax and um, unwind. You know, she, she's obviously a, um, running a company, busy, stressful job, um, but it's important to come down from that. Uh, so a wind down time is is, is, is critical to protect. Um, so if you have a target bedtime there of 10, you should really be uh, having a, a target, uh, a dedicated wind down time, 60, ideally 90 minutes prior to that, whereby your day's done. You just, you have to, you have to, to now start to commit to your recovery strategies to, to wind down. Um, so totally, um, uh, Agree with that, and wind down strategies can be, can be anything, anything at all. Some of some of the stuff there was, whether it's to do with um, smelling or listening or reading or tasting, it just those those kind of comforting feelings that you want to be be inviting to um, to, to wind you down towards towards your your, your sleepiness and, and let you, letting your sleep drive start to come and take over. Um, the other things that I would I would potentially recommend people to do is there's there's a little bit of evidence around um helping to regulate your temperature in bed is by wearing socks in bed um so you create by wearing just wearing you know either woolly socks or cotton socks you can create this uh create something called vasodilation which helps to dispel heat uh, a lot so um and you could go with, go another another step and actually wear socks and gloves so if you're really <laughs> if you're really suffering from overheating try 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 that strategy to um wear socks socks and or gloves as uh and see if it if it if it helps you in any way um so my advice here would be to kind of make sure that you identify like a cutoff point 
60 to 90 minutes prior to your bedtime where you dedicate a proper wind down. That means disengaging, disengaging from your phone, disengaging maybe from the TV. Um, it's, it's, I, part of my routine uh, is to always do 10 minutes of gentle stretching yoga. Uh, it's great for the body. It's also great for just, just the mind. Um, start um, practicing your, your your things like meditation or anything that kind of helps you to recover from the stresses from from that day and don't see it as a waste of time don't say as this is i could be doing something better see this is really purposeful to let you 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 kind of um wash away wash off the day washing off is a good another good one is is bath time is like a, a good way to thermoregulate is by warming the body up and have a warm bath and then let the natural air temperature cool start to, to invite that cooling process happening so um, a little bit of that that can be happening plus you'll feel very clean getting into bed and that's that's a nice thing uh other strategy if you are having night sweats, having something like uh, an extra set of pajamas right beside the bed. So, you know, you know, you might need to change clothes. So make it really easier for yourself just to kind of um, change what you're wearing, feel more comfortable and get, uh, getting back to sleep if, if you're woken up by by that. Um, if you're feeling thirsty, uh, so Dana was saying there, you sort of drink a little bit of extra water sometimes through this period. So um, <laughs> you might not want to put a nightlight on the way to the kitchen so you know make it make that journey nice and comforting comforting for you and and obviously on the way back but you might want to i've i've had one client before left themselves a little note in the in the fridge and just said you know don't worry it's gonna be okay you can get you know you can you can sleep well um oh. see, i'll see you in the morning it was a note note to, the, note to yourself or oh, if you have a lovely four AM self, I like it. <laughs> or if you have a lo- lovely partner, you know, maybe maybe suggest that they'll they'll do that that one for you. It's another little good thing. It just helps you feel comforted. Yeah, and that's that's the feeling you really want to have to know mm-hmm. that you know you're not alone. You're not being care. You know, someone's caring for you. Or you're caring for yourself through this through this stage of life, and it can really help you give a sense of control. So. Show yourselves, show yourselves a bit of self-compassion, a bit of empathy to your situation. Uh, that gives you back a lot of power, and uh, and, um, and you kind of approach this phase of life with more grace and strength. Yeah, thank you so much for that. So what I'll do now is just we've been given a lot of information, Johnny, and and Diana's shared some of her experiences as well. But if you can just kind of summarize the the take home messages. So what do you want people to remember when they finish listening to this podcast about sleep strategy and how to sleep better? Okay, um, so I'm going to give five, um, five take homes that um, I suggest everyone does, everyone um, follows. So First of all, most important one is uh, number one is getting up, getting up at the same time every day, seven days a week. So this is critical for not only your, to build your sleep drive, but also to to uh, maintain your circadian rhythm and all your hormones to kind of flow. And um, the more the more we mess around with with our uptime, the more we mess around. Only go to bed when you're when you're absolutely sleepy. Reserve the bedroom for only sleep and sex. If you feel that you can't 
continue uh, if you wake up in the night and can't continue sleeping stop trying to sleep it's never going to happen so just avoid that anxiety that you build up and then avoid daytime napping unless it's for safety reasons is my fifth one so you're making sure oh. that you're allowing your sleep drive to be as high as possible to get you through that night later on that's the one that i'm going to struggle most with but thanks for that those five things johnny i'll i'll do my best with number five but i'm a i'm a yeah a serial napper <laughs> And Diana, out of those take-homes, those five take-homes, is there anything new that you think you can try? Yeah, it's been fascinating, actually. So um, I think I will, instead of napping, I think what I'm going to try and do is just actually, instead of that nap, I'll just have a quiet time. So it'll be a, a, a restful break, perhaps with, an infusion or something um not caffeine if uh, after midday and yeah i think that would be really helpful it'd be interesting to see um by switching the nap into a rest how that will improve my sleep expected will improve my sleep sleep quality quite well yeah thank you for that that's great Oh, thank you for joining me. And for the listeners, if there's anything that you want more information on, you can contact Johnny. So he has a website, www.johnnybloomfield.com, and get some tips from him on sleep. At the end of the show notes, so the show notes for this particular podcast episode, we put some links that Johnny's provided us for National Sleep Guidelines, some links to the NHS and some helpful information generally on how to get a good night's sleep. So do have a look at the resources and I hope you all will be getting better sleep thanks to this episode. It just remains for me to thank you both Johnny and Diana for being guests on this episode of How to Sleep Better. I do hope we all get a good night's sleep tonight. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women Positively Aging. If you like what you've heard, please do click subscribe and you'll be notified of when the next episode lands on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all the usual podcast players. Don't hesitate to contact me if you're also interested in hearing more about my healthy ageing diet research. I'd love to work with businesses who are developing food products and looking at how they can improve them and target them towards people's needs as they age, but also organisations that want to help their employees who are in midlife improve the quality of their diets and inevitably how they will age and live well for longer. Thank you for listening and I look forward to having you on again when I have the next episode. Take care and stay well. Monkey Pants Productions Podcast.